From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have a topic for you, which if I had a penny for every time I got asked this question, I might be recording from my private island in the Caribbean, but I'm not. But what is the question? The question is, Dr. Aviva, what do you recommend for birth control? We're going to talk about how to choose the best form of birth control for you. Remember, as always, you can enjoy whatever you're doing while you're listening. You don't have to stop and grab a pen or pencil or take notes on your iPhone. In fact, I would love for you to just be in flow with whatever you're doing. Just enjoy because I've got you covered over at avivaram.com for this episode of the podcast. I've got everything in a written form for you. Lots of links to other articles and other information and all the details written down so you can easily refer to those later. Because this is also an episode that I think you're going to want to share with very many women in your life, whether it's your teenage daughter or your sister or your best friend. This is information that we often don't have enough of and really have trouble getting clear information from our healthcare providers who just kind of say, well, yeah, it's all safe. It's all good. Just pick anything. And there's more nuance than that. So let's dig in. There are so many options available for contraception and so much conflicting information about what's safe that it can be really overwhelming to choose. Add to that, if you're here listening to me, there's a good chance you're someone who wants to keep things as close to natural and as safe for your wonderful, beautiful body as possible. Perhaps you've also heard some negative press about the pill online, and that's confusing. So how do you choose the safest, most effective contraception? What are the risks you need to be aware of? And what are the pros and cons? As you'll learn, this decision is very individual and also changes throughout our life. So let's explore this further. When it comes to choosing the best form of birth control for your current needs, there's not usually one right answer. And as I said, there's not a single answer for a lifetime. Your contraception needs have to take quite a few factors into account, including effectiveness, safety, convenience, comfort, cost, your comfort level using hormonal contraceptives, your personal risk factors, and what your contraceptive needs, goals, and preferences are at this time in your life. In today's episode, I share the options I most frequently recommend in my medical practice and that I've recommended to my daughter's friends and nieces, etc., based on these factors and years of helping women determine what methods they feel are best for them. 
Then, because it's such a widely used method and there's a lot of confusing information about it on the internet, I also share some need-to-know facts about the pill so you can ultimately choose the best form of birth control for your needs and preferences right now. So what are the three forms of birth control I recommend most? Based on the effectiveness, ease, cost, safety, and the fact that most women who seek my care would prefer to avoid the pill unless it's necessary for hormonal reasons rather than solely for contraception, the methods I lean into most frequently are condoms, fertility awareness, and the IUD. Here's why, starting with condoms. If you're looking for a non-hormonal option that's highly effective when used correctly and allows you to confidently have sex any time of the month without having to add on an additional method, condoms might be a perfect choice for you. They're one of the best forms of birth control for many reasons. Here are the pros. When used correctly, condoms have up to a 98% efficacy rate of preventing pregnancy. However, as Planned Parenthood notes, the actual rate of effectiveness may be closer to around 85% when you factor in causes of condom failure, such as breakage, slippage, incorrect usage, and using them past their expiration date. Condoms also, as a pro, provide physical barrier protection. That means they not only function as a contraceptive, but also reduce the risk of contracting a number of sexually transmitted infections and HIV. However, please note, they aren't effective at preventing the transmission of genital ulcer diseases like herpes and syphilis or HPV, since their main form of transmission of these infections is through contact with infected skin or mucosal areas. Because of these risks, it's incredibly important to exchange the need-to-know sexual history details with your partner or partners and get tested on the regular for STIs, or sexually transmitted infections. One more pro in favor of condoms is they're generally affordable, simple to use, and don't require visits to the doctor or a prescription to access them. Just be sure to get the right condom size and apply them correctly to ensure they're effective as possible. The downsides of condoms. While condoms are a low-risk, easy-to-use form of contraception, there are some things you should know. Some people don't like to wear condoms or they don't enjoy the full sensations of intercourse with them. So you need to ensure that you and your partner are on the same page when choosing this type of birth control. You need to be prepared to have them on hand each and every time you have intercourse to avoid pregnancy, especially if condoms are the only type of birth control you're using. So bottom line is if you don't use them, they don't work. And if you don't use them properly, they don't work. And if you don't use the right size, they can break or they can slip and they don't work. Also, importantly, some condoms aren't entirely vaginal health friendly. So whenever possible, use condoms and lubricants that are vaginal pH friendly and as natural as possible. Fortunately, there are fair trade latex and non-toxic options to choose from that support a healthy vaginal environment. And these alternatives also help prevent vaginal dryness, irritation, the growth of bacteria, and yeast infections. And if you head over to avivaram.com under the section, the downside of condoms, you'll see links to my conversations about lubricants that are vaginally healthy and my podcasts on how to choose condoms that are healthy for your body. So head on over there for that written information for you and those links. Okay. So condoms are one option. 
Another option is fertility awareness, also known as natural fertility planning or natural family planning. Fertility awareness methods involve tracking a range of fertility signals throughout your menstrual cycle and abstaining from unprotected sex or unprotected intercourse specifically during the narrow window of your fertile days each menstrual cycle. There are several approaches you can take for natural family planning or fertility awareness. Standard days method is when you avoid intercourse or use a barrier contraceptive on the days in which you're most fertile, which you can discover by tracking your menstrual cycle over several months. This method is most reliable if your period is consistent and your menstrual cycle ranges between 26 and 32 days long, or even if it's 34 days long, if it's basically the 32 to 34 days every month, that's consistent. You also can check your cervical mucus. Your cervical fluid varies in color, consistency, and volume throughout your menstrual cycle. And observing these changes can reliably determine when you're most fertile. Cervical mucus is typically clear, thin, slippery, and most plentiful a few days prior to ovulation until right after ovulation occurs. The presence of this type of cervical mucus or cervical fluid, also known as spinbarkite, which you can literally stretch between your fingers, kind of looks like egg whites, clues you in to avoid intercourse or use a physical barrier method like a condom during this time. Another method is basal body temperature. This method of family planning and ovulation awareness entails taking your temperature every day upon awakening. You use a special thermometer that is a basal body thermometer. Your body temperature increases by about a half degree to one degree Fahrenheit during ovulation and through the end of your menstrual cycle or for about 10 days after ovulation. You're most fertile two to three days before your temperature rises. So tracking these trends over time can inform you to avoid intercourse or again, use an alternative form of protection if you do have intercourse on those fertile days such as condoms. Finally, there's the symptothermal method. The symptothermal method, or STM, uses a combination of these methods that I just talked about. So it uses a combination of tracking your cervical mucus and recording your daily basal body temperature. The most accurate of all of these is to pay attention to your cycle. So you start to learn which days you're ovulating and then use cervical mucus to confirm that. The good news is that this method is quite effective when properly followed. The tricky part is just that it does actually require you paying attention. Now, the beauty of that is that you get to know your body. And as the saying goes, knowledge is power. Understanding your body's rhythms and fluctuations can help guide many aspects of your life and really help you optimize so many things from your energy and your mood, your sleep patterns, your diet, your physical activity and your wellness, even to when you make big business decisions, for example. Understanding and tracking your cycle interspersed with condom use for protection when you're sexually active during your fertile window and of course for sexually transmitted infection protection can be a real win-win. It provides you with an incredible window into how your body works while also allowing you to avoid hormonal or more invasive forms of contraception. 
The downside of fertility awareness is that it can take several months to learn to accurately assess your cycle. So this natural form of birth control admittedly takes more time to onboard, as well as planning and commitment to use it effectively compared to other methods. However, the results, as I've shared, can be incredibly worthwhile. For me, I call it the best me search I've ever done. I started tracking my cycle when I was 15 years old and through menopause. Now I'm in menopause. It has been just such a powerful learning tool about myself. And really, once you get used to doing it, it becomes second nature to do it. You don't have to write it down anymore over time unless you want to. So it really can become as much a part of your life as brushing your teeth or, you know, eating a meal. It's very, very much kind of organic and natural. Natural family planning methods can be up to 99% effective when done properly. But the real life success of this method is closer to 76 to 88% once you factor in human error, such as forgetting to track your cycle and especially your fertility signals and other instances that may impact accurate readings. For example, basal body temperature can become elevated due to illness, or you can have irregular cycles due to travel or stress, or certain medications like antihistamines may actually make you have less fluctuation in your cervical mucus. So those are important things to know. You increase the efficacy though, the effectiveness by combining natural fertility awareness methods with condoms. And you can use condoms the whole month long. So then you're combining both or extend what you might consider the fertile window, which is really about three to five days of your cycle to a week so that you have a little bit of margin of error on each side of ovulation. And here's the thing, as one of my old friends said, this method is great, except we most want to, I'm going to just say F word since you might have kids listening and you're in the car and they're in the car seat when we're fertile. So you have to remember to use another method like condoms during your fertile window. That means you need to understand the pros and cons of condom use as well as having those on hand. Now, what about fertility tracking apps as an extension of fertility awareness? A fertility tracking app can be a wonderfully convenient way to practice fertility awareness and developers promise a high level of accuracy. And some of these apps are even FDA approved. But fertility tracking apps also have downsides. Most apps are designed on the premise that women have a 28-day menstrual cycle with regular mid-cycle ovulation. If yours doesn't fit that bill, you might not be getting a reliable picture of when you're ovulating, which defeats the purpose if you're trying to avoid pregnancy. To drive this point home, a 2020 study found that most cycle tracking apps are, quote, of low quality and users should be wary of relying on their predictions to avoid pregnancy or to maximize chances of conception, end quote. Further, a 2016 study done by researchers at Columbia University found that of 108 cycle tracking apps that they looked at, only 20 contained accurate information. So even when using an app, always pay attention to your own hormone intelligence alongside it, using the methods and insights that I outlined in the natural fertility awareness conversation we just had. Troublingly also, there's been some nefarious behavior in the world of period tracking apps. Shocking, but true. For example, the popular cycle tracking app Flow has given private information to Google and Facebook without users' consent, such as when women were having their periods or intended to get pregnant. 
If you prefer the convenience of using an app, which I totally understand to a pen and paper method, which you can get a pen and paper method at my cycle awareness article over at my website, and you can download that for free. But if you prefer the convenience of an app, make sure the app guarantees that your personal details aren't being shared without your permission. Also, an app doesn't prevent pregnancy. It only provides insight into a possible fertility window based on a generic algorithm. With that in mind, you'll still need to use condoms for contraception if you have intercourse during your fertile days. They don't prevent sexually transmitted infections either. So the condoms really are a part of the package if you're using fertility awareness and if you're using your app or naturally just paying attention and charting it on a pen and paper chart you still need to use the condoms. Now, a third method that you may be surprised because you think of me as the natural MD, which I am, that I do often recommend in my practice is the IUD. The intrauterine device is a T-shaped medical device that a physician or midwife, and it's usually a certified nurse midwife or nurse practitioner trained in IUD insertion, inserts into the uterus. IUDs work by thickening cervical mucus to prevent conception amongst a series of other intrauterine changes that make it difficult for the sperm to get to the egg and difficult for any fertilized egg to implant into the uterus. As I shared, cervical mucus is thin and slippery when you're fertile. Conversely, when it's thick and opaque, it functions as a shield to block sperm from reaching an egg for successful fertilization. The other thing IUDs do is thin out the uterine lining, making it inhospitable for a fertilized egg to implant. And the copper IUD is actually toxic to sperm, making them less able to fertilize an ovum. The IUD comes in two main forms, the copper IUD and the progestin IUD. The copper IUD is a great method for birth control, and I highly recommend it. It's safe and effective at preventing pregnancy and doesn't require introducing any hormones into your body. It's also quite a convenient option if pregnancy isn't on your radar for a while. Once inserted, the copper IUD can work for up to 12 years. You don't have to do anything. The progestin IUD is another great option. It does, however, release small amounts of the hormone progestin into the body to help your body avoid pregnancy. There are four brands of progestin IUDs available in the U.S. that last for varying lengths of time. The classic is the Mirena. It's been around the longest and it provides contraception for seven years. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to get it taken out, put back in. It's just in there, done. The Laletta also provides protection for seven years, while the Kylena provides protection for five years, and the Skyla for three years. While only 6.1% of American women used IUDs in 2018, you may be surprised to learn that it's the most popular type of birth control worldwide, particularly in Europe and Asia. IUDs are considered the most effective form of contraception available, except for abstinence and sterilization, with a 99% success rate. While you may have heard horror stories about IUDs from past decades, and I even talk about the Dalcon Shield in one of my podcasts, there have been so many developments and advances since. So it's safe to put that bad IUD PR to rest and feel confident in the current IUDs. 
Aside from the overall safety and efficacy of IUDs at preventing contraception and the one-and-done ease of use, another benefit is that if you do decide to get pregnant, there's no waiting period required. Once you get the IUD removed, you can start trying to get pregnant immediately. A delayed return to fertility is not a typical side effect of IUD use. Additionally, a 2015 study participants who normally had heavy periods experienced 80% reduction in median menstrual blood flow within four months of inserting the Mirena IUD, with that number climbing to 95% within a year. So it really can be phenomenally helpful for heavy bleeding. Now, it's not getting to the root causes of heavy bleeding, which, as you know, is always my goal in helping any woman to feel comfortable in her body. But it can be a temporizing measure and can also be effective if you have uterine fibroids and heavy bleeding. There are some downsides, though, and it may not be the right choice for everyone. The process of inserting the IUD can be uncomfortable or even painful with intense cramping, particularly for those who haven't given birth before, and that's fairly common. It can be mitigated with taking some ibuprofen before and a heating pad, but you know, be prepared. It can be really uncomfortable. Spotting and irregular periods are common with the IUD, though it tends to subside within six or so months. While the Mirena has been shown to reduce heavy bleeding, the copper IUD commonly causes heavier flow and aches throughout the first year after insertion. If you're one of the many women who struggles with heavy periods, so much so that it impacts your quality of life each and every month, this feature of the copper IUDs may sway you away to another form of birth control that I've shared, and that may include the Mirena IUD. Some women report experiencing a new onset of depression with the hormone-releasing IUD. This is not really described in the medical literature, but as you know, I listen to women and women do report this to me. If your weight tends to fluctuate or you experience significant weight loss or gain at some point in your life, you'll need to have the IUD refitted to ensure that it remains effective. So if you lose or gain weight substantially, you want to let your OB, your midwife, primary care provider, whoever has inserted it, let them know. And so they can check in on you and say, oh, do we need to replace or reinsert this IUD to make sure it's in the right place? The IUD is not suitable for anyone with active pelvic inflammatory disease or uterine abnormalities. In addition, the progestin IUD is not suitable for anyone with a history of cirrhosis, blood clotting disorders, and or breast cancer. Plus, though these are rare, there are some risks, including perforation of the uterus when it's being inserted, expulsion of the IUD spontaneously, so it's not in there anymore and maybe you didn't notice it came out, development of pelvic inflammatory disease and increased risk of ectopic pregnancy should pregnancy occur with an IUD in place. Again, these are rare. It is a birth control method I commonly recommend. It's very convenient. Again, if it works for you and it works well, it's one and done and you can forget about it for many years. But it is important to always know what the risks are so that we go in with an open awareness. That way we also catch things, you know, if we're one of the rare people that something does happen to. Now, I want to just mention a word about IUDs, copper toxicity, and autoimmune disease. 
Some women are concerned about the potential risk of developing copper toxicity and autoimmune conditions with IUDs based on anecdotal stories on the internet. While I think the jury is still out on whether there's an association, the bottom line is at this time, there's no conclusive evidence demonstrating a strong correlation in either case, right? There's no proof that they cause copper toxicity and there's no proof that they cause autoimmune conditions. However, one 2014 study did find that women already at increased risk for rheumatoid arthritis who had the IUD may produce antibodies that further heighten that risk. But another study found no risk of IUD use at all in women who used it with systemic lupus. While these concerns are valid whenever we are considering using a medical device, and history tells us that we need to be cautious, the current medical consensus is that the link between IUDs and autoimmune conditions is generally weak and that copper toxicity risks are negligible. However, as I said, I listen to women. And this is one of the things that if you find chat groups on the internet, you can find women talking about. So this may not be your preferred choice for contraception if you already have an autoimmune condition, have a strong immediate family history of one like your mom, your sister, or if you experience undesired side effects of the copper IUD. If you have any IUD put in and you experience undesired side effects, of course, have it removed promptly. And they're very, very easy to remove. They're not uncomfortable to get removed. It's a super quick office procedure. It takes a couple of minutes. You don't need any kind of pain medication or anything like that. And instead of the copper IUD, you can still consider a progestin IUD or another form of contraception completely. Which brings me to another question that if I also had a penny for, I would have a private island, which is Dr. Aviva, do you recommend birth control pills? The pill is definitely one of the most popular, effective, and convenient forms of birth control available. It also offers a 99% success rate with perfect use and a 93% efficacy with typical use. So with typical use, compared to typical use of condoms or typical use of family fertility awareness, this definitely rivals the IUD. Plus, it's now possible to get birth control pills at a very low cost or even for free with certain plans and providers, as well as online without the hassle of a doctor's office visit. While I do occasionally prescribe the pill in various forms and doses, I generally only do so when it's a patient's preferred choice for contraception because it's every woman's choice what she wants and it's her right to ask me and get a prescription for it or when needed for treating certain gynecologic conditions. I've discussed the potential risks of birth control pills at length in another podcast, but here are a few, though not all facts, that women should know but aren't often informed of. One, the pill has been shown to increase risk of depression. It's been shown to do this substantially, even in women who lack a history of depression or any mental health challenges. Two, the pill is associated with depleting a number of nutrients important for health and healthy moods. Three, the pill can lead to weight gain and insulin resistance with an overall lifetime increase in the risk of developing diabetes in women who have taken the pill even for just six months. Not to be scary if you did have it, you know, just important to really be mindful of your health, Mediterranean-style diet, hormone intelligence plan, way of eating, et cetera, et cetera, to prevent all of that. 
The pill makes your blood coagulate more, which increases the risk of blood clotting, especially if you have PCOS or are overweight. Six, the pill can disrupt your gut microbiome, which can then lead to a host of additional undesired effects, including digestive issues, acne, and various manifestations of inflammation. Seven, while the pill may help clear up, acne breakouts often come back once you discontinue taking it. In women with PCOS, some forms of the pill may worsen acne, while other forms may be helpful, so it's important to check with your provider about that. Eight, the pill is correlated with a greater risk of developing certain types of cancer, including breast and cervical cancer, though to be fair, it's also correlated with protective effects against colon and ovarian cancers. Nine, it can take anywhere from six months to two years to resume regular menstrual cycles after you discontinue taking the pill. And 10, the pill can delay fertility, which can pose difficulties if pregnancy is on the radar in your short-term or medium-term family planning. In other words, you thought you were going to go off the pill and be pregnant in a month, and now, again, it can take you know six to two years to get your cycles regular, so that kind of can put a kibosh in your timing plans. These risks vary depending on whether the pill you're prescribed contains estrogen or progestin alone, and individual factors. For example, a clotting disorder, migraine with aura, being a smoker, or being over the age of 35 may preclude safe use of various forms of the pill. Other types of hormonal contraception, including implantable devices like Nexplanon and insertable options like the NuvaRing, carry similar risks to using the pill. All things considered, I'm generally wary about recommending the pill, not only due to potential risks, but also because of the common side effects like depression and weight gain. While I neither disavow hormonal birth control, including the pill, nor do I intend to stoke fear around using these options, I generally advocate choosing other forms of contraception that are non-hormonal unless the benefits outweigh the risks for an individual user. In any case, it's incredibly important to be informed about the general risks and any specific risks that might apply to you based on your own medical history as well as being aware of the signs and symptoms of side effects that you should look out for. So what type of birth control is best for you? At the end of the day, choosing the best form of birth control for you is a personal decision that involves the range of diverse factors I've discussed. Keep in mind that in addition to medical doctors, nurse practitioners and certified midwives can also provide phenomenal contraceptive counseling, and most can prescribe it as well. Each can help you weigh your options to discover the best form of birth control that fits your unique needs. You may also find that what's best for you now may be different for you six months or six years down the road. If you're looking for the best form of birth control that's non-invasive and hormone-free, I typically suggest a combination of condoms and fertility awareness. I often do prescribe the IUD, whether copper or low-dose hormone releasing based on a woman's personal preference and goals, or for those who don't prefer condoms, can't fully commit to the rigor of fertility awareness methods, or for whom irregular periods make fertility tracking unreliable and difficult. With that said, birth control is never a one-method-fits-all kind of approach. In summary, choosing birth control requires knowing the options, including their benefits and risks, and developing a clear understanding of your preferences and comfort level with the different options, and then trying that method to make sure it's the right one for you. You just have to make sure that whatever you choose, you use it according to instructions for the best and safest results. I really hope that this has been incredibly helpful and informative for you. If you want a deep dive 
into understanding your hormones, understanding your cycles, fertility awareness, so many different medical conditions for which women are prescribed the pill often inappropriately, like endometriosis or PCOS or other conditions, grab a copy of my book, Hormone Intelligence. I can't wait to share more with you and I will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.